0: Welcome to Bible study, good to see everybody tonight, glad you're here. We're going to take a few moments and pray, ask God's blessing on our time, and then we will get moving with the study. So let's pray. Father, thanks for your presence here. We thank you for Holy Spirit. Thank you for His power. We ask that we would be empowered, we would be anointed, that we would be ready to hear and see and receive all that you want to pour out tonight. I pray revelation over us. I pray understanding over us. I pray comprehension over us. I ask you, God, that you would open up the Scriptures to us and we could just respond to you. We could respond to the truth of your Word, respond to what you say, your instruction, your direction, whatever it is you want to do tonight, your encouragement, I pray that we would have ears to hear and that we would respond to you here in this place, God, uh, in this time. So speak. I pray you give us a word for this moment. I pray you give us a word for our lives. And I ask you, God, that we would respond to the living God as he speaks into us. So we give you thanks. We ask, God, that you lead us, you guide us. I pray, God, your anointing as I teach. Uh, God, uh, just just speak. I pray a prophetic word to come forth tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. John, chapter 7 reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible Study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com, that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. John chapter 7. And I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer to read verse verse five of John seven, John seven and verse five. Well, even brothers did not believe in him. thanks all right, so <laughs> all right, so a simple verse uh talking about Jesus, and uh, I think it's worthy to look at this verse because it's pointing out something uh, very simple. There's not a lot of like hidden truth in this. Uh, it's, it's just a very simple statement, and a very simple statement here is that even his own brothers didn't believe in him. Now we're talking about Jesus. We're not talking about like John the Baptist. We're not talking about you know one of the other guys, one of the apostles. We're not talking about Bartholomew. We're not talking about any of those guys. We're talking about Jesus, Jesus Himself, and the Bible takes the time, takes the moment here, puts it into writing, gospel writer John puts it into writing that even his own brothers at this time, his own brothers did not believe in him, didn't believe his claims. And so I find that uh, strangely comforting, uh, at least for me, that we've got Jesus who he's like the best ever. All right, he's, he's, he's the world champion of being the best ever, okay? And he's the best teacher, he's the best preacher, he's the best miracle worker, he's the best deliverer, he's the best. He's the best there is. And and, and it's the best, Jesus, if even his own brothers didn't believe his claims, even his own brothers didn't believe in him, at least at this point they didn't believe in him, it kind of gives me hope that, yeah, there's, there's times in our lives where People just won't accept what we say, or people won't accept what we do. Any of you that have ever had run-ins with your family can understand that. Uh, I had a long period of time where I was diverging from uh, certain aspects, certain portions of my family because of what I chose to believe, and because I was living my life. And they weren't living their lives that way, and so they looked at the way I was living my life, and they thought it was weird. And they had no problem telling me that they thought it was weird. And they thought I was, you know, a little bit messed in the head. And that they thought whatever they thought. And so I had these conversations. It's kind of an ongoing conversation about what was going on in my life and what was going on in my belief and what was going on in my faith. And so there were those moments that that took place. And so I I leave it at that. Okay, and so what I want to share with you is that if that happened to Jesus, how much more could it, or might it, or can we probably almost count on it, happening to us at certain points in our life? So regardless of whether it was family or whatever, I mean, this was Jesus' brothers. That word could also refer to close relatives and, and really close friends. Right, it, it refers to his inner circle. That's what it refers to. And it also literally refers to his brothers. And so, literally, his brothers didn't believe in him. His inner circle didn't believe in him. In fact, we have other scriptures where they talk about how his mother and his brother and sisters, they came to get him one day. He was preaching. And, and so they showed up outside the place where he was preaching and teaching and doing healing and all that. And they came to gather him up because they thought he had lost his mind. And so they not only didn't believe him, they not only didn't believe his claims, but they actually thought he had just lost his mind. And so they were going to gather him up to stop him from continuing to embarrass himself and them as his family. And they were going to take him back home and they were going to let him recuperate because something happened, something snapped in his head, according to them. So this wasn't an isolated incident. And I I, I want you to hear that. It was his mother that was doing that. Now, I know it's Mary, and and we love Mary and all that. But, I mean, this was his mother going after him because she thought he was nuts to take control over him and take him back to the house so he'd stop embarrassing her. That was his mother. I, I know she came around later. But I'm just saying that at that point... And at that moment in his life and ministry, she was coming against him. And she was coming against what he was saying and what he was doing. And so we're his brothers. And we also know that his brothers, if you go and you look at Acts 1.14 or wherever you want to look, you see that they came around eventually. Mary came around eventually. The brothers came around eventually. They were numbered among the apostles, among the disciples. Uh, Jesus' brother James became the leader of the church council in Jerusalem. That was the head of all the church, and he was the leader of that. Well, that was Jesus' brother. But he was among those here in John 7, 5, where it talks about that James did not believe his claims. Now, why is that important? Well, that's important because we're talking about a function of time here, aren't we? You've got these people are the same people. Mary is the same Mary. James is the same James. His other brothers are the same brothers. His other sisters are the same sisters. His friends are the same friends. They're all the same people. And yet over time, things changed. And so we cannot, and, and there's a good lesson in this, that if you can get this, it'll save you a lot of heartache and headache. If you can understand what I'm about to say. You can't live in a moment. When you find yourself living in a moment, there is a lot of heartache and there's a lot of headache in doing that. Almost every crazy person on the face of the earth is stuck in a moment. All right? That that's just a fact. And I mean I'm not trying to be a psychologist or psychiatrist here. All I'm telling you is that most of the time When I'm counseling with someone that's having mental issues, I'm counseling with someone that that has diagnosed mental problems. Part of the issue in almost 100% of the circumstances, almost 100% of the cases, is that there's a part of their brain that is stuck in a moment, whatever that was. It could be a moment of trauma. It could be uh, whatever it is. It could have been a moment of confusion. It could have been a moment of abandonment. It could have been a moment of whatever you want to name. There's a moment that they got stuck in. Could have been as a little kid. Could have been as an adult. Could have been as a teenager. Whenever it was. But they got stuck in that moment and they can't get out. And there's a root cause in people of mental illness of getting stuck in a moment. And so if all we had was this moment in John 7, 5. And we didn't have the rest of the story. We didn't know anything else. All we would believe, all we would see from this is, well, even Jesus' brothers and mother didn't believe in Him. They didn't believe His claims. And the fact of the matter was, at this point, they didn't. But we have the benefit of knowing what happens after this, because it was written down for our uh, on our behalf and for our benefit, that... We know that they eventually came around and they believed what He said. And they believed what He was claiming. And they believed that He was the Messiah. And they believed all the things that were going to come to pass. All right, But it wasn't right then. And so getting stuck in this moment not only relegates the person that gets stuck in that moment, but every other person is stuck in that moment including Jesus' mother and His brothers and His sister. They're all stuck in the same moment because that whoever the person watching this is stuck in that moment. And that's it. If you think about you know, somebody in your life that if, if you've ever dealt with this where you've been stuck in a moment, well, whoever that person that, that hurt you in that moment, they are forever that person. You ever think about it like that? That 20 years down the line or 30 years down the line, They're still the person they were 20, 30 years ago because you're stuck in the moment? Even though the reality of it is is that they're not that same person, but to you they are. The reality of it is that maybe they've grown or maybe they've changed or maybe something else has happened, but you hold them in the prison of that moment because that's what the prison is in your mind. And so as we minister freedom and as we not only minister freedom but receive freedom into our lives, there needs to be, as Jesus spoke over the disciples in John chapter 20, there needs to be a retaining and a releasing of sin. So if someone sins against us, we need to be able to release that sin. If someone hurts us, we need to be able to release that hurt so that they're not stuck in our mind in that same spot for the next 50 years, or the next 10 years, or the next 5 years, or the next 20 years, or however long it is, that that we're not imprisoning anyone to that. Jesus told His disciples that (coughs) whoever sins you remit are remitted unto them. Whoever sins you retain are retained. Do you ever think about what that means to retain sin? And that we have the power to forgive sin, but we also have the power to retain sin. Well, this is one way that we retain sin over people is that we hold them and we trap them there in our hearts and in our minds for something that they did whenever it was that they did it. And I really believe we've got to be full of a lot more grace than that. Good thing Jesus was, right? Good thing Jesus loved His mama. And I mean that. Because at this point in John 7, 5, she didn't believe in Him. I know she was treasuring up stuff in her heart and everything, but she didn't believe his claims. We know that because she went after him to gather him up and stop him from embarrassing her anymore. And his brothers didn't believe their claims, and yet there was a point that they did, and they were numbered among the apostles and among the disciples and became leaders in the church. And yet if they had been stuck and they had been relegated into this moment for the rest of their lives, who knows what would become of them? Who knows what would have happened? But there had to be, at some point, reconciliation. There had to be, at some point, a bigger picture. There had to be, at some point, that moment of revelation where they came to a different conclusion and they saw things differently and Jesus, not being stuck in this moment, was fully able to embrace that and love them in that. Because a moment doesn't define you. It doesn't define anybody A moment doesn't define anybody. And that person that's rude to you in the moment, that moment, you cannot allow that moment to define that person. You just can't. That is small-minded, immature, childlike in a bad way. Well, they were mean to me. Okay, in that moment. What's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. What's going to happen the next day? I don't know. What's going to happen 10 years down the road? I have no idea. 20 years down the road? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And so let's not get ourselves stuck in a moment in time, bring a definition down on somebody, well, this person is this way and that's all there is to it, and thereby trap them in a moment that we shouldn't be living in. So Jesus' and his own brothers didn't believe him. And, and I want you to think, hey, who did Jesus claimed to be? Well, he was claiming to be the Messiah. I and mean, even if he didn't use the word, everybody knew what he was claiming to be. That he was the Messiah. But they had this idea about the Messiah, like the Messiah is going to be a political leader, or the Messiah is going to be have armies with him, or Messiah, Messiah is going to, you know, be somebody of power. And they thought of it all in these worldly terms, and they thought about all these political terms, and they thought about all in these terms of might and armies and all the rest of that kind of stuff. But that's not who Jesus was. He was never going to be that. It was never going to fulfill that. And so their own expectations and their own ways that they had, had, had prejudged the situation, their prejudices influenced whether or not they could see him for who he really was. And they didn't believe him. Why? Because he didn't fit what they thought he was supposed to look like. And, and also, it's like, well, if he's going to be the Messiah, if he's the Messiah, well, he's going to be a king. And if he's a king, then, I mean, what does that mean for the family? If it's good to be the king, what does it mean for the family of the king? It's alright? It's alright, right? Yeah. And if so so you look at it and you're like, all right, well if he becomes the messiah, I mean or he's he's recognized as a messiah, if he's who he says he is, and he becomes the king that we believe the Messiah is supposed to be and all of that, well then we're gonna benefit from that. We're gonna get power and prestige and money and all this other stuff. We're gonna live in a palace, maybe? I mean, that's exciting. Right? Well, it, it became clear pretty quickly that that's not really who Jesus was. And so there's no benefit in those terms. And and people come to know Jesus and they're looking for certain things. And, and sometimes when they come to know Jesus and they're looking for certain things and, and they don't get those things, well, why don't they get those things? Because that's not who Jesus is. That's not what He offers. It's like, if if you're coming to know Jesus because you want to get rich, that's not really who Jesus is. That's not what He offers. Or you're coming to know Jesus because you never want to be sick again a day in your life. Well, that's not really who Jesus is because that's not what He offers. If you come to know Jesus and all you ever want to be is happy for the rest of your life and never face any hardship and never face any challenge, well, that's not who Jesus is. And so if those are the things and those are the expectations that you're looking for, with Jesus, you become, you quickly become aware of the fact that that's not going to happen. And so you can just look at that and say, all right, well, I just don't believe in Him. Or you can allow Him to define Himself. He can reveal Himself. And you can really look at Him and let Him tell the story instead of you. you know, people get bitter and angry at God because He doesn't meet their expectations. Well, right. Right, because He doesn't live by your definition. He by anybody's definition except for his own. And so, well, you think he should have done this. Well, great, but that doesn't mean he's gonna. He reveals who he is. He shows us who he is. He's already laid that out for us. And we either come in line with who he says that he is and we 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 learn to to accept that, or or we're really not gonna have much of a relationship with him at all. I mean people are like that too. You know, when I, when I do premarital counseling, one of the things, that I, and I ask questions uh, of them, and I'll ask about, well, you know, what are your expectations for a mate? What's the perfect mate look like to you? All these other questions like that. And if you could change one thing about the other person, what would it be? And I ask all these questions at different points during the premarital counseling. And the reason I'm asking those questions is because if somehow, some way, somebody has something in their head, which always happens, but they have something in their head. They're looking at this other person. Say, well, this other person is the most wonderful, kindest, nicest, most beautiful, or most handsome person on the face of the earth. I can take one look at them and say that's not true. (laughs) I just know that. But I'm not looking through their lens, right? I'm not looking at the lens. And there will come a day where they'll look at that person and they'll think to themselves, they're really not the most beautiful or handsome person on the face of the earth. It's okay. You kind of come to your senses, you know, you realize that. Or you, you come to your senses, you realize, well, they're not really the person I thought that they were. Well, probably not. They're probably not. And, and and that's a growing moment. That's a moment where we look at the other person and say, all right, well, this is who they are. All right. And and then the the other fault and the other reason I asked the question is, well, you go into it and you can see, you got a little glimpse of who they are. Well, I can change them. No, you can't. No, you can't. And I'm not saying people don't change because they do change. But you're not going to change somebody. It's not going to happen. And 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 it's just such a, a false sense about, well, I'm going to go into this. I'm going to change this person. Yeah. No. This is why people get divorced. This is what happens. That's why you're looking at it about a 50% divorce rate in first-time marriages. You're looking at a 66% divorce rate in second-time marriages. You're looking at a 75% divorce rate in third-time marriages. Because if you ain't figured it out by the third time, it ain't going to work. Let it go. Let it go. And so we have this issue with people. Well, surely we have it with God. Surely we do. And allowing Him, though, to define Himself, allowing Him to show us who He is, allowing Him to be who He is, is a powerful revelation and understanding in our own lives. Because it's going to lead us into a better place of peace, a better place of rest, a better place of joy in our relationship with Him. That's what it's going to lead us into. So we looked at The example we have in his brothers and his close relatives, and all I'm going to say about this is that they're a great example. And I mentioned this before. Uh, if, if this was the moment in time, all right, that'd be one thing, and it never changed. But we know that they do change, and and so I want you to look at this as these guys, these people, are an example of how hardened hearts can become fruitful ground, because their heart, their hearts were hardened to Jesus. They were hardened to His Word. They were hardened to His purposes, His plan. And, and what he was saying, who he said it was. They were hardened to all of those things. And yet there would come a day, whenever that was going to be, and I don't know that we know exactly when that day is, but there would come a day where his mother would believe. And there would come a day where his brothers would believe. And there would come a day where his family would turn, and they would believe and they would be numbered among the disciples. And they're a great example of how hearts and minds can change. And that's why I encourage you, don't be too hard on people. That's why God calls us to grace. Because it's a function of time. That our, our words and, and our attitudes are all function, are functions of time. And over time, those attitudes and over time, those opinions, and over time, the way that we see things changes. And that's just the fact of the matter. And so we have to allow for that function, that time, that variable of time to come into play into those relationships and not be too harsh in the moment. And not hold on to the moment. But allow for that moment to pass and for time to have its effect and watch how people change. You just see it. Most of you know the story of my dad. He, When I first became a Christian, he was involved and had been brought up in, and I mean heavily in, uh, what I would consider a cult. That's how he was raised. Those are the people that he was around, and that's all he knew. And so when I became a Christian, he didn't like that. Did not like that at all. I was brought up going to these meetings that he was a part of, that he had been going to since he was a child. And so he would take me to those meetings. I didn't like it. He'd take me to the buildings where they'd have these things. I didn't like it. He'd take me to meet some of the people. I didn't like it. Hang out with other kids that were involved in this thing. I didn't like it. I just didn't like it. But he would take me. And so growing up, you know, there were all these opportunities. He wasn't mean about it. He wasn't pushy about it. He just provided the opportunities and made me go. And so after that, I went to college and I came to know Jesus, which he had nothing to do with. And so one, it was like, to him, it happened in an instant. To me, it happened over time. But I came into a relationship with Christ and certain things about my life changed right then. And so when I came home for break from college, I wasn't doing things that I was doing the last time I was home. So you think about from his perspective... He was doing all of these things before, which he didn't approve of, but then I wasn't doing them, and so then he didn't approve of that either. Why? Because it was weird. Why? Because it happened all at once. Why? Because he didn't have any say in it. Why? Because he didn't know what happened. That's why. And, And so he was upset. And so he went from that point of being upset, You know, you got to fast-forward years, years, years. Years. He became one of my biggest supporters, came to know Jesus, and was an elder in his church before he died. But that moment where he made fun of me, that moment where he disagreed with me, that moment where he didn't understand what was going on, that moment where it seemed like he... Was persecuting me and come against me. If I had chosen to live in that moment, I wasn't allowing for the function of time. I wasn't allowing for the work of the Holy Spirit. I wasn't allowing for what God wanted to do to take place over that time frame. We got to have a lot more grace than this that moment that happens, because, because moments are deceptive. They hurt in a moment, but it passes. And there's bigger fish to fry. There's a bigger picture that we need to be looking at as people that there's something more that God wants to do here. There's something more that God wants to say. There's something more that God wants to change in somebody than just what I see in the moment. But somebody could be rude as all get out in the moment, but as the function of time and the work of the Holy Spirit takes place over that time, you see changes taking place in them. In their attitudes the way they see things the way they hear things and the way they're going to respond to things let's allow for that to happen so his family i mean they had hardened hearts and yet there came a point somewhere along that time that that function that we allow for that variable that jesus allowed for in their lives where mary came into a place of faith his brothers came into a place of faith all these people came into a face the place of faith but it took time they all thought he was crazy in a moment but over time they recognized he was the way and the truth and the life and he couldn't get to the father except for by him they came to realize that but it wasn't in that moment it wasn't in the moment we're looking at here it was some other time they came to that place But I think it's significant that Jesus is just allowing for that. He's just allowing for that moment to take place. He's allowing for that time to pass and for whatever the Father was going to do, whatever the Spirit was going to do, He was allowing it to happen. Because if you think about it, if Jesus is claiming to be the Messiah, but they don't believe Him, what do they believe about Him? If I'm making grandiose claims about my life, and I'm gathering big crowds of people, making these claims about who I am. All right, what must I believe? If you don't believe my claims, what what do you believe then about me? Could be cuckoo. Could be that you're seeking popularity, power, prestige, right? You'd assume that they assumed that Jesus was like that because they didn't believe what he was actually saying. So, hmm. And so, so there's a judgment that took place on him. You know, people judge you. That happens. Did you know that? Good. So it just happens. If you think you're going to live your life outside of judgment, that's not going to happen. And when people judge you, that's the time where grace needs to take place. That's the time where grace needs to happen in your life to allow for that judgment. Right, You may not agree with it, you may not think it's true, you may not think it's valid, you may not think it's fair, you may not think it's the right thing. you may not it just you don't even understand where it comes from, but that's the moment of grace. That's what needs to happen because over time, things change, and so we allow for those things to take place. They doubted his words, uh he was derided by his own family. Uh, And as I mentioned before, that's an example to us. It gives us a context where we can be content to bear certain things that we wouldn't normally put up with. But being willing to, finding a certain amount of contentment in allowing for time, allowing for that function to take place, believing for something better. You think about what they derided him in, in his purpose I mean, they questioned his motives. What was his purpose? Well, he, he explained his purpose. He told his purpose. And yet, they were questioning his motives. I mean, they were looking at, well, maybe popularity, maybe power, maybe prestige. Maybe he's out of his mind. I don't know. But they definitely questioned his motives. So, they were questioning his purpose. They also questioned his mission. I mean, he was pretty clear about his mission. This is what I'm here to do. It's what Son of Man has appeared to do. And he told them what his mission was, but they they didn't really believe that. You think about all the times that he preached. And not only did he preach, but you think about how he preached. He would preach, but then there would be healings and miracles and signs and wonders that would take place. And so these were the miracles that, that took place, and they would confirm the word that he was preaching. So he didn't just say something, but he came in a demonstration of the power of it. So he was giving people something more to hang on to. And there were certain people that they would see him. They would hear what he had to say. They believed what he said. They would see the miracles which confirmed the Word. And they believed. And they followed him. But then there were other people, like his family, that just didn't really believe. They they didn't really believe the, the miracles, in a sense. I mean, the mom had seen a miracle. What miracle had she seen? We know she's seen one miracle at least at this point. Yeah, at the wedding in Cana, where Jesus had, uh, she came to Jesus knowing he had some kind of power. Not saying she didn't understand that, but that she said, "Okay, do whatever he says." And so she saw a miraculous transformation take place, where water was turned to wine now did she actually see it turned to wine no but she knows that there was there were these stone things they were full of water they dipped in again it was full of wine all right how's that happen neat trick right i don't know i don't know how that happens so she had seen that she had experienced that she had lived in that she probably even had some of the wine so she knew she knew that, and yet there was something about her that wasn't accepting the fact and wasn't believing in his mission. She just wasn't doing it. She just wasn't doing it and, and and there was something about his claim she couldn't get a hold of. Well, he's the messiah, well, he doesn't act like the messiah he's the messiah well he, he doesn't, he's not doing messiah things he's the messiah well. I mean, he's not hes not performing the way that the Messiah is supposed to form. Well, who said? Well, everybody knows. They were all wrong. Always be careful with everybody knows. Well, yeah, and everybody can be completely wrong. I mean, the earth was flat, right? For a long time, the earth was flat. For a long time, the earth was the center of the solar system. But for a long time, they, you, know, you, you think about all the things that were agreed upon completely and utterly. Well, everybody knows. All right. I'm going to tell you something right now. That's bad science. OK? If you got scientists, and one of their arguments for you, all right, about anything, I don't care what it is. If one of the arguments about anything for you, from a scientist is, well, everybody knows, they're pretty stupid, and I don't care who they are, All right? That, because that argument, that's the dumb argument that's been used to keep people in ignorance for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years. Well, everybody knows. The earth's flat. What are you, stupid? And everybody knew the earth was flat, except for the earth's not flat. And everybody knew that the earth was the center of the solar system, center of the universe. Everybody knows that. What's wrong with you? Well, except for it's not. It's not. And we know that now. But, but everybody agreed on it, so it must have been. But those are the arguments that were used. And, and they're making a comeback. All right. And all I can say is, don't, don't be a dark ages dweller, okay? <laughs> Rise above. Rise above that argument. Rise above somebody telling you, well, that's what everybody thinks. Well, I don't care. You're to have to come up with a little something better than that to make me believe something. And so there he was doing what he was doing. There he was speaking what he was speaking. There he was performing the miracles he was the healings, the deliverances, all of these things. But they still met the plan that Jesus proclaimed. Repent, believe the gospel. The plan that Jesus proclaimed, the kingdom of God is with you and in you. The, the plan that Jesus proclaimed that this is what, the way things are. They met it with prejudice. And what's prejudice? They'd already prejudged the way things were supposed to look and He didn't do it. That's His own family. And suspicion. And suspicion. And some of that's from unbelief. But there's a reason why a prophet is without honor in his hometown. You know why? among his own people? Do you know why a prophet doesn't have honor among his hometown and his own people? Can you guess? Well, yeah, it, and I'm going to use a word here. Maybe it'll make sense to you. Maybe not. Jealousy. Jealousy. I know this guy. I went to school with him. He's not a messiah. He's not even a good carpenter. I mean, I don't know. You know, <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? Like I'm not saying that's true. All I'm saying is jealousy plays a part. And there's a reason why a prophet's without honor in his own hometown because everybody knows him. They know him in his life. They know him growing up. And if you've been around people that knew you growing up, they always bring up something embarrassing. You know what I mean? It's like there's always something. And And among his brothers, I mean... There's competition among brothers? There's jealousy among brothers in his own family? Oh, he's the Messiah now, and he didn't even—he wasn't even performing like the Messiah. He wasn't doing Messiah things. He wasn't—he wasn't, you know, actually out there uh, being the Messiah type person they thought he was supposed to be because they'd already prejudged all that. And so they met his claims, they met his mission, his purpose. They, they met his plan was just a, a just a heaping load of suspicion, and prejudice. He won't hear it. That eh, can't be the right guy. They even question his relationship with the, the father. I mean, Jesus had a pretty strong claim about his relationship with the Father, his heavenly Father. I and the Father are one. Wow. Whatever I hear my Father say, that's what I do. You've seen me. Who are you seen? The Father. You see, they don't want to hear any of that. Those were the claims that Jesus made. But they want to hear that. They question his relationship to the Father. But what greater proof could Jesus have offered them? I mean, really, in his physical body, what greater proof is he gonna offer them? I mean, he he was speaking words of truth. He was speaking words of love. He was speaking words of wisdom. He was bringing revelation. He'd been bringing revelation since he was 12 years old, 10 years old, however old he was. Where he was found in the temple teaching and speaking among the rabbis there at 10, 12 years old. He was bringing revelation then. So he's bringing revelation. He's speaking that. He's performing miracles. He's seeing people restored to health seeing people delivered from demons, seeing miracles taking place, what greater proof could He have offered? And there's something interesting that in this moment, in this moment, they're not going to believe Him. You get it? They're just not going to believe Him. It's not really a question, well, can He do a bigger miracle and they'll believe Him? No. 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 Can you do a louder miracle? They'll believe that. No. Nope. No. Do you need to speak louder? Nope. A bigger revelation this time? Nope. They're not going to believe Him in this moment. That's okay. Because what's this moment? What are their lives? What was this decision they've made? What is this judgment they've made of Him? Well, it's a function of time. And time is going to continue to pass. And you know what? Jesus didn't need to do anything for time to continue to pass. Neither do you. I don't need to do anything. Time's just going to pass. I don't need to say anything. I don't need to do anything. It's going to pass. And as time passes, things change. Including his mother and his brothers and his close relatives and his friends. Something was going to change in them. And there would come a moment. What moment? I don't know. There come a time. What time? I don't know. How far into the future? I have no idea. When's it going to happen? I don't know. How's it going to happen? I don't know. What's going to put them over the top that they're going to believe? I don't know what that is. I have no idea. All I know is it's a function of time, and I need to allow for that time to take place. And in that time, whatever it was, in that moment, whenever that moment occurred, Mary believed. Not only that, that there was something special about him, but he actually was who he said that he was. She actually believed that he was who he claimed to be. She believed in his mission, his task, his purpose, his plan. She believed it. In a moment. When? I don't know. When did his brother James believe? I don't know when that was. But there came a moment that he believed over that period of time. But it wasn't right then. Cause they weren't gonna believe it right then. You gonna make somebody believe? I doubt it. You're just gonna make them believe? Darn it! Well, it doesn't work that way. There just there comes a moment that we all experience that. You know, there were lots of moments in my life before I came to know Jesus where I could have. I could have. you know. And and those moments added up, I guess, and I guess they all culminated in something, but there were moments that that took place where uh, I could have believed in that moment, but I didn't. And looking back, I see them a little more clearly than I did at the time. You know, as some of you have told us, I was walking out of a, a show one time at the Buffalo Memorial Auditorium. I It was um, it was a Judas Priest and Iron Maiden show. And I was coming out of the show, going back to my car, and as I was walking, somebody walked up to me and handed me a, a pamphlet. Holy Joe, is a Chick track. <laughs> if you don't know what a Chick track is, that's all right. But they're little cartoons. They're like little comics. Jack Chick uh, draw the comics and write them up. And so I put it in my pocket and I just kept going. And I remember reading it the next day. I was at uh, where I was working at the pharmacy that I worked at, and I was just up front. There wasn't anybody up there, and I just read it. Read it. And I guess I could have given my life to Jesus right then, right? Because I read that and it had the whole gospel message in it, and it was just a uh, you know one of those moments. But I looked at it. and I read it. And I thought to myself, "This is stupid," and I just, you know, I just threw it out or whatever I did with it, because it was just dumb to me right then. And that's, that's, I'm not disparaging chick tracks, you know, for people who love chick tracks. I mean, keep loving them, I guess. I don't know. All I'm saying is, is that that wasn't my time. That wasn't my moment. And I'm thankful that no one was there to beat me over the head with a bigger chick track than that was. That it was just, that was time, needed to pass. But it was within a couple of years that I did come to know Jesus from that moment. But that just needed to happen. And so, if you really think about Jesus and his family, they pretty much, and I mean pretty much, they just rejected all of it right here. In this verse here, John 7 And verse 5, they just rejected all of it. All of it. I mean, here he was. And, And he wasn't doing anything. Like I said, he wasn't doing all of the Messiah things. What was Jesus doing? Think about it. He was preaching change. Nobody wants to hear that. People want to hear that you're awesome right now. See? You're the best right now. That's what people want to hear. It really is. And and that's not what Jesus was preaching. He was preaching a gospel of repentance. Like John the Baptist had come before him and prepared the way with this, this, this preaching of repentance. And Jesus, his first message is repent and believe the gospel. And so there was this message of change. There was this message where we're given opportunity. We're given this this moment where we can change in. And there were some people that were ready for that. There were some people that were like, yeah, I want to change, and that's awesome. Listen to what this guy has to say. And then they, they embraced it, and they changed, and they embraced what Jesus was talking about. And they took hold of that grace, and they took hold of that mercy, and they took hold of that love, and they responded to that. That's great. Thousands of people did. Not his family, though. And thousands of people didn't. Because you think about the times of Jesus' popularity. There were times where he was so popular and people were just moving in on him. They couldn't get close enough to him. But there was always somebody out there ready to kill him, right? There's always a group of people ready to kill that guy. Oh, you can't please all the people all the time? No! No! Because there, there are certain things that, that people—they're not going to agree, they're not going to see it, they're not going to be able to see it. It's okay. It's okay. And so that—that's just a part of the whole equation. And so they're listening to him preach change, change, change. Well, I guess I got to change. Maybe you know, and I, I hear this—you know—the the, the quote-unquote constructive criticism I get—it's like all you ever talk about is changing. That's right. Yes, because that's our opportunity. That's what God does. And, you know, and uh, I don't really represent the perfect people of the world here. I don't. I don't have that in me to represent the perfect people of the world. And so when I speak, I have a hard time speaking to people if they're the perfect people. All right? That's not my message. My message is, hey, you're messed up. How do I know that? Because I'm messed up. I've been messed up. I'm still messed up. You're messed up, but we have an opportunity to change. We have an opportunity for something better. Let's take it. I want to take it. I want. I want to take it. I want you to take it. Let's go. Let's do this. People don't want to hear that. People don't want to be challenged. It, it's kind of funny. I just had someone talking to me. Making sure they're not here. I was having somebody talking to me, and they're like you know, sometimes after you're done preaching, I feel guilty. I'm like seriously? Well, good. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's not really guilt. Maybe that, maybe that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and maybe it's prompting you towards some change in your life. Cool. I don't want to make people. I don't motivate people from, out of guilt. I don't. I don't do that. I mean, I'll motivate people by giving an example. I'll motivate people to encouragement. I'll motivate people to a lot of different things. But guilt's not really one of them. I don't, I don't even see how that's a great motivator. You know, my, my family didn't motivate through guilt. You know, we're not from, you know, like, I, I, never mind. I don't want to say that. Anyway, but I've been around people. I've been around families intimately, around families and motivate through guilt. That's tough. That's tough living. And I mean, Christian families, they motivate through guilt. That's tough living. All right? And But that's not really what we're about. That's not what Jesus is about. That's not what I'm about. And, and, and anybody that's known me for 20 years or 25 years would we'll kind of figure that out over time, that I'm not really motivating anybody through guilt. And so if you're sitting and I'm talking and you're feeling that in you, Maybe a little bit, like what you're defining as guilt, you might want to reconsider that. Maybe in the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and see if there might be a, a moment of change, ready, waiting, and calling you in that moment. Maybe, maybe that's a better way to see it, because that might be a good opportunity. I know when I, when I feel that, and I'm say I'm, sometimes it happens when I'm talking, but I'll feel that, and I feel that that conviction of the Holy Spirit or we got a speaker or something and and I feel that. I mean, I just know that this is a moment, this is an opportunity that I need to take to change. I'm not going to run from that. I'm not going to despise that. I'm going to take that as fully as I can and see some change and see something happening in my life. But if we're going to take hold of jesus and we're going to take hold of his message and we're going to take hold of his purpose and his plan in our lives we have to dispose of our prejudices what do i mean by that well well this is the way jesus is really when you start to think that and that's not what he's defined himself as you got to dispose of that well jesus would never do that really there's lots of things jesus did that you probably think he'd never do and you've read them too, and you probably skip over them because they don't fit your prejudice of who Jesus is. Well, Jesus would never do that, but he did, and there are lots of those examples in the Bible about what things that Jesus did that you would think well, he would never do that, but he did I was reading that that part about uh or I was reading it today, just going through the gospels how they're talking about John the Baptist and Jesus. And John the Baptist came neither eating or drinking. In other words, he, wasn't, he didn't eat a lot. He didn't you know, have lavish meals. And he, was, he didn't drink alcohol. John the Baptist didn't do either one of those things. And what they say about John the Baptist? He has a demon. Right? So they, they had judged him as having a demon. And then they said, All right, well, what about Jesus? Well, he eats. And he has feasts and banquets. And he eats with people a lot. I mean, he, you know, like dinner parties. And he drinks alcohol. So what do they say about Jesus? Well, he's a glutton, a wine bibber, and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Hmm. You can't win. You just can't win. And that prejudice, whatever that is, needs to be disposed of if we're going to allow for Jesus to, to reveal Himself in and through our lives. I mean, it just has to happen. And if you grew up in the church, man, that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. And there's people out there, there's people that talk on the street, you know, I've had people do this, I mean, these people are are, are living for the devil, but they will tell you, oh, you call yourself a Christian? Hey, you need to shut up, all right? You're living for the devil, and you're going to judge me. Stop it. Just stop it. And I'm going to allow for the fact that there might be a function of time in that person's life and allow for that time to happen. And I've seen people like that come to know Jesus. We'll just let it happen. But don't you, as a Christian, carry those kind of prejudices and those kind of judgments. They need to be disposed of. They, those, those, those kind of conceptions that are in in our hearts and our lives and our minds about who Jesus is, they need to be disposed of. We need to be able to change the way that we're seeing things and allow for Jesus to be Jesus. Just allow it. Because that too is a function of time. Jesus' kingdom Jesus' kingdom isn't all about stuff that people run after. It's not about power. It's not about money. Not in the sense that they're looking for. It's not about popularity. It's not about everybody getting along. It's not about those things. Even if you want it to be about those things, it's not. You wanting Jesus to be a certain way doesn't make Him that way. You thinking Jesus is a certain way doesn't make Him that way. You thinking the Gospel says a certain thing doesn't mean it says that. You wanting the Gospel to say a certain thing doesn't mean it says it. We have to allow for God to reveal, to show us, and allow for Him and His grace to bring change over time. That's going to start with me and you. We're the mother and the brothers. If you ain't got that yet. We're the mother and the brothers. And we'd we allow for time. Yeah, you, know, you think about well, is Jesus gonna have patience with me? Oh yeah. He had patience with his mom and his brothers. We're his brothers and sisters. He's got patience for us over that function of time. He's got time all eternity. He's got plenty of patience. And so I want to encourage you to allow for change—the way you see things, the way you understand things. Allow for change to take place in how you see him, how you hear him, and allow for that change in the lives of the people around you. That's grace. It's mercy. It's who we've been called to be. Gonna take a few moments. I want to pray going to ask Jesus to just fill us with His mercy, fill us with His grace. Take the edge off a little bit. Because I think sometimes you get an edge on you to protect yourself, and all it does is just hurt you and the people around you. Heavenly Father, I thank You that uh, You love us, and I thank You for the example we have in Jesus and His family. I thank You, Jesus, for the example You give about who we are. I thank You for the example that we have of Your mother and Your brothers and Your close family. I thank You, God, that, that speaks to us, that speaks to where we're at, that speaks to our lives, that speaks to our journey, that speaks to our faith, that speaks to our prejudices, that speaks to our false conceptions of, of who You are and what's going on around us. It speaks to a lot of stuff. But it speaks to things that need to change. And so, God, tonight, I pray for things to change. I pray that You would fill us with grace. More grace than we can even begin to understand. I pray that You'd fill us with that grace to overflowing. That mercy. the only You can give, I pray you fill us with mercy to overflowing. I ask You, God, that... We would not live, and I pray you set people free tonight from moments in their lives. Yeah, I just ask you that, that you would just set people free from whatever that moment was, however long ago it was or however recent it was. I pray they'd be set free, and I ask you, God, for time to just have its way. Have its way in people's hearts. Have its way in people's minds. Have its way in people's spirit. And I pray, God, that you would bring healing and you would bring release from that moment in Jesus' name. Forgiveness, grace, love, just fill it up. Fill it up. Whatever that crater is there that's been left by that moment, just just sitting there, I pray you fill it with love, and I pray you fill it with your grace, and I pray you fill it with your mercy in Jesus' name. Mm. Because God, I thank you that you're all about redemption. You're all about redeeming us. You're about our lives, redeeming the people around us. You're all about the redemption of people we love. You're all about the redemption of people that that are part of our lives, family, friends, people that are close to us. You are a Redeemer in your very nature. You redeem things. You redeem us. And I pray, God, we can see you that way tonight and allow you to function as that redeemer over time. Have your way, God. Have your way. I pray you set us free. I pray you change our hearts. I pray you change our minds. I pray, God, you just fill us with your grace tonight. You. We give you honor, Jesus. We give you thanks and we give you praise. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's by saying amen. 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 UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as you gather for the purpose of life in Christ. Yo, know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you uh-huh. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of the faith community, like the Dad. Well, see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. hmm yeah. As an outgrowth of Chapman City of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we we homies. Yeah.